Creator Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So we have a jam-packed episode for you guys this Thanksgiving holiday. Um, We watched Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, and The Menu. So we're going to lead off with Black Panther. Um, Here is your synopsis. Queen Ramonda, Sheree, Mbaku, Okoye, and the Dora Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening world powers in the wake of King T'Challa's death. As the Kwandans strive to embrace their next chapter, the heroes must band together with Nakia and Everett Ross to forge a new path for their beloved kingdom. This movie is starring Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Dinai Gutierrez, Winston Duke, Michaela Cole, Tanak. I okay. We're gonna take our time with this one. Tanak Huarta. I guess. Your girl took Spanish for six years, still don't know. Um, um, Martin Freeman, Julia, Julia, Louis Dreyfus, and Angela Bassett. And it is directed by Ryan Cooler. So what was your experience of watching Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever? It was beautifully made. It's clear, overarching, beyond the story itself, how um, Chadwick's death affected everybody involved with the with the movie. Um, and it is clear that, you know, in watching the movie, you could see that there are still clear plot points that were altered in the movie that probably if Chadwick had not um, had the issues that he had with all his cancer, um, it, they would have been still fine. And they had to kind of finesse the reconciling and dealing with his death and still make it and also tie, make it also that his character dies and still trying to weave it into the story in a way. Um I do think they did they did what they could. Um just still enjoyed the movie. Um and I love the fact more than the movie that um and there are specific scenes when you watch the movie that is like uh even in the writing saying, oh this is you know T'Challa that he gave every actor, like the main cast, like basically predominantly mostly the black people, because they interacted with him and spent more time with him in the first movie, and they also showed up in a lot of the Avengers movies with him, um, that they had um, opportunities to express their grief in, a lot of the, in, in the movie, dealing with his death. So. Yeah, I think the fact that this movie even got made is like a miracle, because they had like every excuse to not make it after Chad, um, yeah, after Chadwick passed. So the fact that they even made it and it was really, really good. Like it was mm-hmm. such a good movie because they essentially had to like not only kind of retro act like the script of how like things were going to go because Chadwick wasn't there, but they also had to pay homage to him and set up a whole bunch of other things for the MCU. So they had to do like three things. And that's like, that's a lot for anyone, but especially under the circumstances, 
I just think they did a phenomenal job of being able to pull out all of those things and still make it deeply impactful. Like this is the best movie that came from Marvel phase four that we're at. Yeah, I guess so. And I knew it was going to be because Ryan Coogler is in it and Chadwick Bass. Like I knew they weren't just going to like throw some stuff together and give it to us. Like I knew it was going to be good, but I think what was, what touched me is how much his spirit is so embedded into the actual story and like how it kind of drives it forward and how everyone gets their opportunity to grieve his death through the characters. And I thought that that was just really meaningful to like everyone who loved the first movie, everyone who loved Chadwick. That meant a lot. Like I almost cried like three times just because you can really feel like how much his presence is so missed within that entire cast. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. I think also that there is a clear discrepancy, not discrepancy, but a clear void. Um, I think Marvel, they, I think Nate Miller, one of the producers of this movie, and he's a Marvel producer, is also producing the fourth Captain America movie that we discussed a couple weeks ago. Um, He did another interview recently, and he spoke about how Marvel doesn't cast doesn't hire direct writers or directors who are fans of Marvel to direct it. And I feel like in watching this movie, it's clear that I think that's a missed opportunity. Um, Because it's clear that the work that Ryan put into this, knowing that, yeah, Black Panther is like the first main Black superhero. And the important, he knew he was aware of the importance of what it would be to Black people, Black black nerds, Black comic people. And the effort and the effort he put in the first movie and also tying our struggles and our identity issues not just in that movie but in this movie our issues as people dealing with handling grief like for a lot of us we turn grief into vengeance and anger you know the same thing with um with namor i mean there was a writer who recently mentioned um it's not surprising to me that it took black entertainment not latin media to identify the stories of the indigenous in a major motion picture like those depth touches because he understands those issues of mm-hmm. oppressed people and those stories he's able to put more of himself and and draw out more context from those scenes and, and so him not just being a fan but him also understanding and how and integrating that world you see there's a stark difference between this movie and thor love and thunder mm. like uh uh Tiger even mentioned himself he goes oh this is thor i don't care like and i think when you're dealing with these projects yes comic book fans are fickle and stuff like that but i do think if you hire fans who actually care about the projects they're they're they the work becomes so much more better. Like we see issues of Henry Cavill dealing with DC and not DC, but dealing with the Witcher series. He's like, Yeah, you guys only care about this. No one put forth my best effort. You saw the stark difference when um both versions of Justice League came out, Josh Whedon's version, not caring about it, making it his own thing. But and you saw the starter cut how drastically better and more improved that version was. I do think in the hiring process for these writers and directors, I do think Marvel probably should look more to the fans because sometimes fans do understand these characters a lot more than 
the studio has because for a lot of these fans who like let's be honest almost every creative now around our age group in some sort of way grew up reading comic books or in that kind of thing so they kind of grew up watching and enjoying these characters and yeah totally i agree with that and these are characters i don't really even know about like i guess even if you're not a comic book lover you still know like the major you know folks but um i was unaware of certain characters in this um area especially namor i didn't really know anything about him so I like that they, and he was such a good villain, by the way. Like, he was just a really good, like, you completely, again, I think Black Panther just sets the precedent of, like, having characters who I wouldn't, I wouldn't even classify as villains. I would just say they're maybe, like, antiheroes. Like, they just have so much complexity, and you can totally see where they're coming from. So, I really like that. that, But I guess that's just, like, Ryan, just knowing how to write complex characters really well. So... You know, that's what you get. Um, but I will say it is, it was a kind of an also unique challenge because you're taking most of the side characters who were in Black Panther, who have been side characters for the run of like Chadwick doing Black Panther. And now that he's gone, having to elevate them to mains. Um, and I, I guess it was kind of, I was wondering like how that was going to work. Um, because we don't even really spend much time with these characters, even outside of Black Panther, like just in the MCU. So I was very thoroughly impressed with how everyone really just stepped up to like main stage and really gave gave it their all. Like Letitia Wright did an amazing job kind of carrying this movie. Like um, I haven't seen her other film. I'm going to watch it, The Silent Twins. But yeah. um I haven't really gotten to see her really act like that. Like in the character of Cherie, she really was like funny, playful, um, you know, techie girl. Yeah. And he gave her so much depth, like the inner conflict of like grieving, feeling the anger from losing someone so important to you, having to step up and really um, become a leader when you weren't expecting that and then losing people who are close to you, even after you lost your brother, like that's a lot, which is why the, the scene in the, um, the planes, what, the, what are they called specific, specifically? I, I, I forget. The I know what about. Yes. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, when she sees Killmonger, I was like, okay, what? I loved that because it's, because Killmonger really represents that anger and that rage of losing someone you love and then having to like be in this world that feels so against you. Like, and I just really, I loved that her suit, her new suit is a combination of Killmonger and T'Challa's suit. Yeah. And she takes on a lot of that anger because she feels that that's what she needs to do to, I don't even know if she's like trying to come to terms with it necessarily, but just to, but I think she just feels justified in the anger of like having people who she loves ripped away from her. And so she does, she kind of takes on that moniker and, you know, towards the end, she remembers who she is, but like, that was a great arc. I love that for her. Like that was, that was so interesting and engaging and every step, every scene, you're not really sure like where she's at or if she's going to like 
the ancestral ancestral plane. That's what it's called. Yes, yeah, that's what's called. I got it. I got it. Yeah. You don't know where she's going to, how she's going to feel or what side she's going to take, who she's going to be. Is she going to be noble or is she going to handle business? Like, come on, Grisette. Um, But she was amazing. Lupita, always incredible. Like she was more, again, like a side character in this, but I think she did an amazing job because she's amazing. Um, Angela Bassett. Yes. I want her to at least get nominated for an Oscar for this. I don't think it will happen, but she acted like she, this was her last role ever. <laughs> like literally she gave that everything that she had, like literally. I was blown away and I grew up watching, we, you know, black people. Yeah, yeah. Up it's Angela Bass. It's Angela Bass. So, and I still yeah. was blown away. I said, oh girl, give her an Oscar. Like I just wanted to throw one at the screen. I was like this, she is incredible. And the fits, Miss Ruth Carter, who does the costume design, had my girl looking late and slayed every single scene. So like Angela Bassett, that was it for me. I was like, you got it, girl. Like, this could have been your movie. It really could have. Like, she really killed it. She was the star of the show. It, that that scene where her and her, that she's goes, have I not lost, have given this country everything? That, like, that delivery, the intensely, the, the, the way she emotes, emoted her whole body, I was like, you really, you really felt, you felt that a lot. Um, I do think, you know, like I said, because of the extensive rewrites and they, some of the, I think some day they had an interview with somebody and they were like, they were still unsure in the rewrites who were like, originally they were the, one of the people who were up for becoming the new Black Panther or King or either mm-hmm. like Yeah or M'Baku, but I do think it, they led being picking Sherry beyond because beyond the fact that Sherry became the Black Panther in the comic books, it was more emotional. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I do love the fact that they gave they. I don't think had um, because obviously they were they. I I like the fact that in, when they were talking about uh Chadwick and you know T'Challa's dying, they kind of make it a flashback. So they of they don't have to really, they can show you and not tell you, kind of everything. So mm-hmm. I, I I like the fact that the focus of the story it's not really a black story or a concert. It's a story about Shirley. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact of that scene sets up so many emotions for that trickle down. You know, she's a scientist. She's the smartest person in the country. Her brother's dying. I'm going to save him. Everybody's like, yo, go see your brother before it's too late. She's like, nah, I got to say my brother. So you're dealing with the idea of, I never got to say goodbye to my brother. And I couldn't save my brother. And now I have to leave. Like, all those emotions. Like, she got the biggest growth of, of backstory due to the, the writing changes. Which, Because, like you said, in the first movie, she goes from a bubbly kid, like, joking, laughing, water bows and sneakers, and has to deal with, like, and Baku says it best, like, like you're you're a child taking the role of an adult now once her mother dies. Like, that's an immense burden. So it's, of course, you know, when she, you know, goes to ancestral plane, only thing on her mind is vengeance because the last anchor she has to her family, her mother, is is now is now dead. And her, honestly, I think she also feels her mother's dead because of her, because her mother is the one who sent a rescue mission to, um, I don't want to, 
I don't want to pronounce the the the, the um underwater city wrong, but he, he mm. the rescue mission to Namor's kingdom, mm. and which leads to one of one of his people dying, and so he assaults Wakanda, and her his her mother dies because of it. Like she's wrestling with all that, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's beautiful. I I do wish though, and I understand us as black men have a really strong issue with toxic toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people online talking about they don't like the fact of Mbaku's representation. They they thought he should still still be the in those moments you can see how he's kind of bolsterous and it's like, nah, we gotta kill the fish man or he's with his other tribesmen and he's making fun of Nakia, you know, the outcast saving the country or saving the princess and those kind of things where he's, you know, he's manly, he's a man's man, you know, those kind of things. But those tender moments with Shuri, they're like, oh, he's too soft. And I do think that's because I do think had, you know, everything went according to plan, you know, Chadwick makes it through cancer, comes back fully strong when they, they shoot the movie. That growth that they showed glimpse, they showed his interactions with Shuri, they, you would have seen in the movie him and Chad, and him and um, T'Challa Chadwick actually bonding and becoming friends. And that's what sets the precedence for his interaction with Shuri. Because he says, I promised your brother I'd be a protector and stuff like that. That means without telling, at that point they're telling you, not showing you like, I've grown since the first movie, since, since you know, Infinity War, since Endgame, those, those three movies, whatever five or six year time skip takes place in it. In those moments, I've grown to messy as a person and I'm a, a soft, I'm still, the aggressive person, but I still can express a softer, gentler, you know, counsel-like side when needed. I'm a person of balance and duality. And I do think that's a really undervalued side that us as Black men do not appreciate, of that that softer, kinder, the, the, the side that's willing to be emotionally vulnerable. So, not, so I enjoyed his, his uh, uh, Duke Wilson, I mean, Wilson Duke's, you know, portrayal of, you know, being that vulnerable, building, being that wall, that protector, but also knowing when to take the armor off and be tender. So, yeah, I I loved his growth. I wasn't like a huge fan of him after a while in the first one, so I felt like this was this was a huge improvement on his character. And just in terms of like the conversations that are going around this film, particularly in the black space, where. I've been hearing people don't like it because women are at the forefront of the film. And they had the same complaints about the woman king. Yeah. I just feel like just say you hate women and move on. Like, I don't know. I can't the pretense of like trying to have a deeper conversation about this or just dismissing it, like dis- dismissing all of the merits of this film because women are at the forefront of it. Like, just say what it is. Like you don't, you don't like women, you know, I just really can't, I can't deal with that because I don't know what it is about this really weird, like deeply misogynistic. And it's not just men, it's women too, who have this, like, I don't know, this outlook of like women cannot be strong or powerful or just be complicated, you know, like. I don't know what that I don't know what that is, because I feel like I'm living in a different place in time where 
the conversations I'm having and I'm seeing being had are so more or so much more progressive than whatever is going on on like black Twitter or whatever. Like it just feels like such a, I'm living in two different like (laughs) existences. Um, but I don't know what to say about that, but all I, I don't, I just feel like we need to move past this idea that women have set roles and that they cannot be leaders because of some, because of things that don't make sense. Maybe something that someone told you, or maybe, maybe it's biblical, but it's not even biblical. Like if you actually look it up. So I don't know about that. I don't know where that comes from, especially now. It just feels ridiculous to even have those. Yeah. To have those ideas, but all the women were incredible in this. And I like that he gave all of the men a lot of depth. Um, I will say that the cinematography improved like 10 billion percent. <laughs> this movie looks incredible. Yes. The visuals, especially that first funeral scene when all the black people are like dressed in white and it's like in that slow motion. I was like, whoa, this looks great. Like this looks like a Kendrick Lamar video. <laughs> it looked really, really good. Um, but all the scenes just looked really well, um, well put together, well shot. The action was a lot more cleaner. Like you can kind of see people doing the moves like it wasn't just like a ah, mess <laughs> i think all the underwater <laughs> all the underwater stuff looked really good as well like so i think that just in terms of production value everything kind of elevated from the first movie to this one because i think that was one of the main critiques of black panther was the cgi and just how it looked yeah um but also you have like an indie director coming to do a very huge movie for the first time so i get why it maybe it needed you needed some there were ha, there had to be some growing pains to like figure some, out like okay some marvel hand holding a bit yeah to yeah. Be like, okay that's how you know we do this um one of the major critiques i've heard about this film not in major critiques but like one thing that people have mentioned is that they didn't like the tie-in of um agent ross and um yes yeah all of that stuff because it obviously is setting up Secret Wars, Ironheart, like all that other stuff. Um, Thunder, was it Thunderbolts? Thunderbolts, yeah. People didn't like that portion of it. And um, I don't know. I guess, I don't know how to feel about it. I guess I'm, I don't dislike it as much as other people do, but I also feel like, you know, this still is a Marvel movie. You know, we have to remember that, that it has to somehow tie into whatever plot they have going on even though it seems very disoriented at the moment um but yeah it still has to do it still has to serve that function of like the whole universe yeah it has to tie into the entire universe but i think if it didn't have that it would have been a lot better yeah i i think that was probably one of the one of those things where you know i think his involvement with in the movie was probably going to be a very different you know i don't think they were going to put um a julia lewis Dreyfus as you know countess tessa you know i think they were only going to restrict her to be kind of showing in the um probably thunderbolts but mostly in the net the disney plus space with those shows um i do think um he was probably going to interact probably with more with chadwick in the original script and those things kind of i do think and he's already a secondary character you know, still still playing a reduced secondary character. I think his role would have been drastically different. Um, I do 
like you were what you were saying earlier with the woman king i do i do think though that this movie and it's centering on the women and them dealing with uh the loss of t'challa and actresses dealing with the loss of chadwick it um the direction of the movie and that choice really i think reflects chadwick as a person because he mentioned with his interactions with a lot of these women that he didn't have sisters. So those bonds were really were those bonds were already there and folks was like, you don't have sisters. You kind of, you will catch like, I don't have brothers. So there, I have male friends and older people that are dudes that I, I latch onto and I have a real emotional like relationship where I can express more to them in a way, cause I don't have brothers. So I do think, in 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 their choice of centering the movie on the women, it embodied who Chadwick was as a person. So you can't say you miss Chadwick, you a fan of Chadwick, you a fan of Black Panther, and not appreciate the fact that they chose to embrace that side of him, his attachment and relationship with these women, and the direction um this movie uh took. Yeah, agreed. And it's like yeah, I just can't even engage with the conversations because it's like, it feels like talking to a wall. But those conversations do need to be had. So if I ever do run into one of those, I will <laughs> talk about it. But it is kind of frustrating that. And even to what you were saying about M'Baku, like, there's such a, there's such a disgust in the community of, like, men having or expressing more of their not e- softer side yes or, or even like their feminine side yeah. like once they do that they're just labeled one thing and kind of dismissed and seen as not masculine and i just i can't understand that like maybe it's because i'm growing up in this day and age where like everything's so different and like gender expression and identity are just very fluid things yeah. in the spaces that i'm in So it's just so hard to comprehend like that kind of mindset, but whatever, we're not talking about that. Um, (laughs) I I will say, yes, I will agree with you. I do think, and you know, when you're talking, when you talk about Black Panther, whether it's this movie or last movie, you're always going to critique Black people ourselves Mm. because it's a movie for us. It's also expressing a lot of, you know, this movie keys in on the issues of colonialism, Mm -hmm. you know, first movie they talk about how black panther you know wakanda wasn't conquered it didn't help anybody this year we see the uh, we see the side of you know all the other indigenous cultures you know the mayans the incas those a- aztecs you know were conquered by the spaniards and they decided to you know wall themselves off as well so dealing with the repercussions of colonialism and stuff like that um i do i do think so because it's talking about cult- cultures and those issues i do think as black people and Anybody listening could take it how they take it as a negative, take it as we we put it on a culture or identity as black people. We have an issue with other races and other cultures putting us in a box. But when it comes to a lot of these issues with dealing with relationship, black men, black women, you know, our roles inter when we interact with each other, us, we as black people, we put ourselves in a box. Mm-hmm. So I, I mm-hmm. wish we wouldn't be so restrictive with our identity like there are certain markers and certain things that make you black or if you're if you're a man you gotta do this you're a woman you gotta do that i think we can't we can't expect other people to view us as individuals with our soul self-identity and whatever as long as we continue to do that with it with to ourselves 
So yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, but I will say, in terms of the story, I really loved the conflict of you know minorities, you know, people yeah. of color having issues with each other, because that is something that we see very often especially recently with, you know, the hate crimes against Asian people and stuff like that, where there is like a disconnect where it's like, well, we have suffered and you don't get to like, Lord, you're suffering over my suffering, even though we're all suffering. It's so, so it's so weird to me, like that there's that's discrepancy still where we feel like we have to be like the most in pain, most deserved of like humanity than any other group that has been othered in our society. And I just love that he really dug at that internal conflict of like issues between people of color where, you know, we're both fighting for like the same thing, but sometimes we splinter off. Even in this last election, you can see that there were a lot of Hispanic people who voted for Republicans and you have to ask questions of like, why, you know? So it's, it is this like weird internal conflict within our own sub, you know, our own subcultures. And I feel like they kind of mended it a little bit, but they're also, I think they also hinted at that, you know, Namor will probably like wait for something bigger to happen so he can like continue his mission of what he really wanted to do. Um, But I just, I like that he at least got them talking. So you have two opposing views talking and then coming together, knowing that like we're both kind of being oppressed people. Our our lands are both at risk. So let's try to help each other out. And hopefully that message translated. I, I, I do see going forward, um, I do see Namor not he's not gonna be viewed as a villain anymore. I do love the, I do love the choice of them in this movie not killing the not killing the villain. I find it I'm no like the trend of every superhero movie, like just killing the villain at the end. You know, mm-hmm. I want, I want, you know, the next movie, if he shows up as even as a minor thing, you know, a sense of vengeance or revenge, you know, I want to see that back and forth going. That's why I love what Chris Vanilla did with um the Batman trilogy, even though he stops Scarecrow in the, in the first movie, Scarecrow does periodically show up or he's mentioned continually. But for Damore, I do think he's going to embody kind of like the, a Loki-esque type role kind of mm-hmm. like what, what for the fourth Shuri as her reign as Queen and Black Panther. Cause you can see in the in the beginning that he kind of it's kind of like a a really weird cute meet. Like, hey I'm gonna capture you and lock you in my castle Miss this print like a really fairy tale weird thing. Oh Miss Princess, I'm gonna give you this nice little gown, give you my mother's necklace and profess how we sh- we both have the same things and we should, you know, you know, join hands and go against our oppressors together even going as far as you kind of see a twinge of sympathy when he kills Ramonda. he goes you're queen now and you can only see for a bit that he regrets that he kind of took it that far but then you have to realize namor and what we've seen he's a man of of action like i said i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and you could see that kind of regret like that pause like he did like Hard to, I'm using his last name. I apologize. He get that that expression, like he's almost regretting his action in this moment. So yeah, I think going on, you're gonna probably see them go kind of back and forth, kind of because it was kind of started out like a love story, kind of fairy tale kind of thing. Between them. Mm. I do think going when I still kind of be very push and pull 
against each other. Kind of like how some people in the shipping world, like when two enemies, you know, get together. I do feel it them, those two kind of going along on that, that same path. Uh, yes. I'm trying to think of anything else I wanted to say specifically about this. I... You know, interestingly, I didn't think the music was as, like... Mm-mm, what's the word I want to use? Memorable. Memorable. Yeah. As the first one. Um, and I think Ludwig, who did the score of it, I think he did a more, I don't know, interesting score for the first one than this one. Yeah. Um, and also Kendrick Lamar curated that soundtrack for the first one. So you had that good Rihanna song at the end, which I will say that is maybe the best vocal performance I've ever heard of Rihanna. But mm-hmm. um, other than her song, I didn't really like, I didn't really get much from the music side of it. I, I think that was intentional. Okay. Dealing, oh, me, well, me personally, I think it was intentional. Um, dealing, <laughs> dealing with the um the soldier man they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. How at least you know Black Panther, like that movie, that soundtrack is so iconic because the whole thing feels like almost like a royal procession, a coronation. It's yeah. like it's very like I want to call the frames black superhero music. Like it invigorates you and it energizes you, and I think that also sets a prevalent look. It's kind of like saying. I'm a black superhero. Like every every moment, every scene, it kind of wells you up. And with this movie, I think you know dealing with those thoughts of grief, more more so grief than anything else. You have two characters, you know, five hundred years. Namor has been dealing with his mother's death. Shuri now dealing with the grief for brother, a country dealing with the loss of the king, and now kind of queen as well. Um, I do feel like that's the reason why the the soundtrack isn't move you the way it does or if mm-hmm. it does you don't notice it i do think the, the times where the soundtrack did speak to me was kind of the same thing they did in black panther is how they used a lot of um african sounds traditional yeah. sounds when they went whenever they cut to um namor's kingdom especially the first thing where him and sure you're like traveling to it is very you know indigenous very spanish uh mm-hmm. latino latino vibed and i i really felt it in those moments because it's kind of like the same thing with black panther it's showing you this scene like i'm you know a latin i am i am i am that hero i am that leader i'm that king and it's also very not just that but it also in that scene it's also very romantic in a way because once again it's kind of doing the fairy tale thing between him and sure so it's it's it's, it's like a coronation like yes i'm a I'm a Latin hero and I'm a king and it's also a romance as we're, you're going through and exploring my underwater kingdom. Like that part, like any scene, like when they were underwater, even when um, um, Lupita is swimming in the water, those parts, those, like, those parts of Sandra, uh really piqued me, got to me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think they were definitely, and I watched a video of like how they, broke down the music and how it took like over a year. They would really travel to Africa and to like all these in Mexico and all these different places to like get the sounds of it. So it was well done. It's just it wasn't as like as like the first yeah. one. Um I didn't like because Disney does this all the time where they like 
tell you a character is queer by being like, hey, hey, love. So you're supposed to just know that they're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's just, again, that like, here's a crumb, take it. Like, I just would prefer that you wouldn't do it. I don't know. I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Eternals is the only thing that really committed to actually showing a gay relationship on screen from one of these Disney movies. After that, like, before and after, they were just like, here are some crumbs, take it. So I don't love that. Um, Oh, I missed you, my love, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I did like Michaela Cole in this, but I just was like, (laughs) try harder, Disney. And um, that final scene with um, Lupita and baby T'Challa, I guess. Um, Yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, I do think that last scene, I think, is a backdoor way of it. It it also responds to that segment of the fan base. I, at the time, was included um, Mm because I wasn't thinking of, you know, these women expressing their grief, crying, crying, Kugler expressing their grief. I was only thinking it was that, like, oh, T'Challa. I wasn't thinking of uh, I I kind of separated the two, and it's not until you know now and you know personal stuff and you know and watching a lot of his interviews and he's talking about legacy and stuff like that is for them to recast T'Challa then would have undermined Chadwick's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so to um to kind of backdoor if they have to. Because, um, you know, with, with Marvel, they, they have a roadmap. So they kind of have a backdoor, like, oh, this is the Queen knows, Shuri knows, this is Prince T'Challa. So if we have to, if need be, is, you know, if Marvel decides to do another time jump or any kind of wacky shit they want to do with um Kang the Conqueror as they go forward or Secret Wars, they say, hey, we can bring back King T'Challa in mm-hmm. name and still pass on, you know, that title or that role to another down the road. Kind of a time skip in a way. And yeah. it also makes sense because usually these characters, like we see now with modern superhero movies, is once the actor is done, they kind of say, and yes, we know that, you know, um, there is going to be another Captain America movie, but I still think people are still always going to view him as Falcon, not Captain America. There's not going to be another Iron Man movie because, you know, people way Robert Downey about that role. But even if those characters pass on their roles, you're not going to, they're not going to be embodied the same way. But I do think because the understanding of the world building that they said that um, the Black Panthers kind of a royal slashes title, you go, oh, if, you know, the queen, the queen dies, the prince becomes king. So you kind of go, oh, Shuri dies. You know, it makes sense for the next Black Panther. Just there, you know, the title changing hands, you know, kind of makes sense. So they kind of backdoor their way. So in case they have to, they want to do another male Black Panther, they have a way of doing it. Yeah, I was like, I, I did see that before I saw the movie. So I was like, well, <laughs> I guess I know what's going to yeah. happen now. But yeah. yeah. So, final thoughts? Um, I love the movie. I, I also think this one movie, beyond the movie, and once again, talking about the issues of colonialism and that history, it has given um, 
um, non, a well, I should say, indigenous Latinos, people of indigenous descent, and Afro Latinos to express also their frustration of their depiction in media. Because, like I said earlier, a lot of a lot of these, a lot of uh, leading thought people in the community were were appreciative and expressive that this came from a black writer like this celebration of latin culture and um huerta himself on namor even expresses constantly the issues of colorism and representation in his homeland of mexico because he mentions that his, he was called like the resentful dark one either by you know his family and he was like saying his grandmother treated his cousin better because he was lighter and it's dealing with those issues because we we assume us as black people are the only um minority and i say minority because america but we're the only group of color in the world that deal with those issues of colorism whereas it's dominant and latin community is dominant in the east uh, east asian community like they also deal with the reckoning of colorism and Basically, your agency to whiteness makes you better due to the effects of colonialism. So it, I think it's it's giving us an opportunity to expand that dialogue much further than the limited view that we've had before, and make also let us know that all of us, all of these uh, these communities of culture of color, have 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 the same societal problems due to decades and centuries of you know, imperial colonialism, and also it touched on the fact that it wasn't just, you know, um, the English that messed up and created these issues in communities. He also says the, the, it's the Spanish and it's also and the, and the Portuguese really did have gave us as Black people the same problems in America and in Africa, but also gave a lot of these indigenous groups problems all from Central to South America. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very nuanced and just really well thought out. Obviously, everyone cared so deeply about making this movie, and you can tell, like, you can really tell that people cared a lot yeah. about this. And I think it was a beautiful send off for Chadwick and for that character, and also setting up things that you can be excited about. I mean, it would be interesting to see like another Black Panther in the MCU and um, where. I think Okoye Koye goes and her whole journey. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. And I think it was just really well done. Um, very yeah. meaningful. So yeah. go see yeah. it if you haven't yeah. already. Yeah, I know. I know I, me personally, I would talk about it. I know I spent more time talking about us as a culture and our people, but, you know, that's kind of what the movie moved me beyond the expression of grief it really i love the fact that ryan is able to deal with these issues almost in a kind of a way that um jordan, uh, jordan peele does yes. in his projects very similar it, it, it gives yeah. it gives a critique and a response and makes you question the way our society moves and what we do so yeah look at these black filmmakers being great love it yeah. <laughs> love it so uh, the other movie we watched is The Menu, 
Um, the film focuses on a young couple who visits an exclusive destination restaurant on a remote island where an acclaimed chef has prepared a lavish tasting menu, along with some shocking surprises. The movie stars Anna Taylor-Joy of The Queen's Gambit fame, Nicholas Holt, and Ray Fiennes, and is directed by Mark McCloyd. So, Cindy, what did you think of the, the movie? Yeah, was, I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was funny. Um, I well, I'll just say this: I think that Ani Joy is great in everything. Like, I, I there hasn't been anything I've seen her in that she wasn't just like amazing. Mm-hmm. She's one of those young actors who they're like setting a precedent in terms of like just doing quality work and just giving great performances in each of the projects they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like her, Florence Pugh, like they're all kind of in a similar vein. Like that's what I'm kind of thinking of when I'm thinking of like this new class of actors who are just killing it. Like she's great. Um, And Nicholas Holt is so good. I think he's, it's so funny because like, I remember watching Nicholas Holt in Mm X-Men and he was like a nerdy character, like he's beast, but like seeing him in more of these comedic roles, like this or the great, he just has such a great comedic timing. Like, he's just really funny. So every time I see him on screen, it's a delight. Like, he just makes me laugh. Um, Ralph Fiennes, I was like, mm. like, I, the thing with him is that he plays villainous characters so often that sometimes it, it's like the Denzel effect where it's yeah. like, yes, you're kind of giving the same thing. So I'm not really, and I know he's done other things. Um, and I don't know if I've seen those other things, but I know he has done like more indie, like different kind of roles. But like from what I've seen him in majorly is kind of the same thing. So it's not as interesting. Plus, he said a whole bunch of things about J.K. Rowling supporting her, backing her up. And that made me like not interested in kind of seeing him on screen. I mean, but <laughs> so it's kind of kind of kind of spot on. Well, yeah. <laughs> so whatever, but and I, but I did like I like I like the setting of like a revenge plot, but like interesting because it's like around food, which I like. I was so hungry after I watched this movie. I was like, I cannot wait to go eat something because <laughs> it did. The food did look good. Um, but I also it got I don't know. It was like a weird feeling where like the chef was God, and it felt. And everyone else was just, just his like disciples, and he had the final judgment on their lives because they were wealthy, and it was very kind of on the nose, like burn the rich kind of vibes. And I was just like, mm. I feel like we could have been a little bit more nuanced in how we discussed that, rather than just being like, well, you have money, so death death to all of you like i wasn't really i don't know how i really felt about that piece because i just because i also feel like him taking his craft of making food and the art of that so seriously and being promoted like raising through the ranks to to have a restaurant on a private island and to charge so much for his food like you are also contributing to capitalism so it's like how do you decide that you are somehow above these people for making somewhat of the similar choices that they did to even arrive here? Like, it's so, I feel like we should have had a more nuanced conversation about that. Like, and that's what the movie should have been about, but 
that's just me being um, in the peanut gallery. So whatever. But I thought it was I thought it was good. Yeah, this this movie was I think better than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I was kind of expecting something along like Chef or the movie I forgot the name of the movie. The movie where um, Bradley Cooper plays a, a chef as well, a restaurant or whatever. I was thinking something along those lines because it kind of makes sense as like writers, directors, actors, how they kind of view the culinary space and world as a as an art, which they kind of do touch on in this movie of how it's more than just tasting food. It's an art. I was I was honestly what piqued my interest on this movie beyond what it was is because I wanted to see like you mentioned Ray Fines playing villains. And Ray Fiennes is currently like doing a Broadway, like UK play called Cray Street Line, playing a villain across the Broadway Moses. And I want to see it. It got sold out in New York. And I was like, well, this is the next best option. And so I was really, I was really, uh, like you said, I was really blown away. Like, like you said before, like Anna is in that realm of these like um, generational actresses who embody roles in a way that's not seen like her and like you said on forms you know and to the way away Shersha as well um, Shersha, Timmy all of them yeah, yeah. Like this new R R generation which right. is kind of weird because there are some actors actors and actors in our generation who can't who don't you don't see that that hint of yeah these these actors come with all after like, yeah mm-hmm. I don't view Jennifer Lawrence in the same sense that I view me either these, these yeah that's true so, that's true seeing their talent and like you said when Nicholas Holt my my first instance seeing Nicholas Holt was in um War Bodies. You know, it's that Romeo and Juliet zombie movie where it's kind of yes. funny. So I was kind of where he but could you know play. he was in and about a boy. Did you watch that movie? I forgot about that but he was really young. No, I didn't see I didn't see that. And oh, even okay. even if I did see it and being as young as you yeah. But so he's always been an actor who has always been good at that comedic timing. And I do think that also goes into a sense that people, he, Nicholas Holt is British. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, we covered the theater space, but a lot of these British actors that doing their theater get their comedic timing is, is mm-hmm. on point. Like we see Hugh Laurie, he is known in the States as being Dr. House and being a serious actor. But if you look at Hugh Laurie's, you know, breath of work he plays very comedic roles and so you don't expect when you go to a show and see Hugh Laurie in it how straight and folks so I'm not surprised that Nicholas can embody these um these comedic roles um and I love the allegory the allegory of like I said the comparativeness of you know the restaurant life and being a chef I don't think a lot of people view that space as a creative outlet to a degree mm-hmm. you know so yeah, was, yeah yeah i still say that one of my favorite scenes is um where ralph finds or ray finds i think that's what it is um takes nicholas and he's like okay if you know so much about food then make a dish like yeah. i loved that because it's so it really does speak to like the foodie culture of like people being like no this is art and i know exactly what i'm talking about when i'm when i'm tasting the different tastes like the different flavors on my palate and blah blah blah. and it's so funny how like that has been so commercialized to the point where people really be like they think that they're actually they're actually capable of doing this not that saying that they aren't or they can't but 
being a foodie or whatever that means um, really doesn't mean that you can like do what these professionals do. So I thought that was very, that was just funny because they're, because he was like putting everything together and Ray Fiennes is like talking in the background like, yeah, no, that's not, (laughs) that's not how you do it. And the title screen of like, that was just, yeah, that, this one was shit or whatever. Yeah. I, it was I, funny. I, I I do think um to some I do think him and the critic character were kind of the same person, but it's a different generational thing. Mm. I view Nicholas Holt's character as a critique on the current influencer culture. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an influencer, but you know, because I'm an influencer now, I can do music. I can do this. I can do that. I can talk about all the stuff, but I don't know how to do it because I have I have an image of the knowledge, but I don't have the application. And you and you mm-hmm. see that once he says, "Oh, I have um the the one of the the kitchen equipment. Oh, I have one of those. Oh, the chef. You know, he he. This is this is actually algae. You know, this is you know emulsified this. That I have all the theoretical." and stuff but i don't know how to put the two together when the time comes because you see him even he's talking about how he has all this equipment doesn't know how to use it like it's it's most showing what he's cutting cutting the, the radish mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to cut a radish he doesn't even peel the radish first he cuts it you know basically skin, skin and all like leaves and all doesn't doesn't strip it and then cut it and then he kind of just says f it i'm gonna this big bottle plot of butter Here's the radish. Here, here are the leeks, and here are the lambs. Lamb not seasoned, none of it. And I'm only seeing it on one side. And I pray to God that it's that it works, and that he's exposed as a fraud and kind of hangs himself. Whereas you have the the critic who is one of those people who is kind of the same. But I have all this knowledge. I couldn't do that, so I'm going to take my time and to vilify on the short, like. You can be a critic, like because in this space, in this podcast, we're also being critics. But to the when you go to the point where people's livelihoods and lives are destroyed, because the scene where she's looking at tortillas, they go, Oh, these are all the restaurants that I gave reviews to and are now closed. Like those are waitresses, chefs, those are a hundred plus people who have lost a livelihood because you couldn't temper or have some kind of humility or empathy you know because you wanted to wax uh you wanted to pontificate and use your these rich allegories of language you know this is like she made a reference at one point to when they're eating the seafood like this is she made a reference to a a greek or a roman one of the sub gods of the sea she goes oh this is very blah 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 esque and her editor is like what are you talking about he's like oh you know the story of the fisherman you know he's like god of the sea he goes oh that's why you meant it like those kind of people which are are really it's kind of like scorsese in a way scorsese makes a lot of points in the film world but him kind of saying like oh that's not cinema even quentin tarantino now is saying oh what's going on now isn't cinema it's kind of like because you don't understand it or don't appreciate it doesn't mean it's any less good or you know the quality is diminished so mm, true 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 yeah i thought it was interesting also the women that are highlighted in the film um the sous chef who was like this man assaulted well he don't know if he assaulted her i think he just i think That's he approached him 
Yeah, he like he approached her and was like trying to get with her, and she was like, "No." But I think it was interesting that the fact that that killing all of them was her idea. I thought that was very interesting. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's different." Sure, um, but also the way that Ani Taylor Joy's character is a sex worker and got involved in the situation when she was like not supposed to be there, but they have a connection because she doesn't come from that world of like privilege. So <laughs> she is like the only person who's allowed to be let go. Yeah. And it was interesting their back and forth. I thought that was a really cool dynamic between her and Ralph Fiennes of like knowing that we both like, I know you started from the bottom, now you're here, but you did start from the bottom. So Make me a cheeseburger. Like, I don't yeah. know. There was something about that that I really like. I was like, yeah, okay. I get it. And that her work wasn't like demonized. It was just like, this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it caused a little drama because she knew Mr. Mr. Miss Thing over there <laughs> messing up. A, no, well, it wasn't her fault. He did it. But a marriage was <laughs> complicated because of her presence, but it would have came out eventually. But anyways, yeah, I I liked how they kind of touched on those little things. Um, unfortunately, Ray Fine's character is still chef. He's still in charge of everything that's happening here. So, you know, we can't dismantle patriarchy all uh, the, the whole way. Yeah, because you're kind of... Him talking about the issues of the wealthy and destroying his art, you're kind of cojeeling your staff to die with you. So yeah, yeah, you know, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 and I do find it's touching, and I do wish he had survived. Was that rich man's wife? You know, because mm-hmm. she's there just because of a who she married, and she does by agency, you know, fall into that category. But the fact that matter that she doesn't blame. Um, Margot and Joy Taylor's character mm-hmm. for her husband's infidelity, and I love yeah, the scene where like she's that. where she's leaving, and she looks at her and the wife and his wife goes go like she's I love yeah. like she's the person that says go like mm-hmm. you don't this you don't belong to be here, and gives her that push to leave. I thought that was really touching because in most situations in these movies they would have you know made her act. Uh, antagonistic towards her and some will say you're the reason why my marriage has failed and blah 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 blah." you know so mm-hmm. I, I do think because like towards the end not to repeat but i do i do think society does like to try and pit women against each other and some of these depictions in media and they use those images they put forth to say see you know this is how women are in real life when most times that's not how they are sometimes so i do mm-hmm. i do think i think that was a touching touching part yeah and really deep too i loved that now that you mentioned i did really like that interaction i was like yes <laughs> we're moving on yeah. but yeah mm-hmm. um i did my funniest scene though me and my friend were laughing when we watched it when mm-hmm. there she's talking to um um, thing. Why did I forget? John Leguizamo, his character, and his secretary are, are talking, and did he ask her if, you know, can, can she leave? And he asks her, where'd you go to school? 
Brown, Ivy League education. And he goes, okay, you might, you might have been smart. And he goes, did you have student loans? She goes, no. He goes, now you got that too. Like across the board, all y'all wealthy people who've like suffered and scored. And then the thing is, she was wealthy herself, and then she's still stealing from her boss. Mm. And I was like, yo, what, what are you doing? What, what are you, what are you doing? And at that point, I'm like, oh, you went to Browns. Brown or free uh, without a scholarship, without offer scholarship, no student loans. Uh, you gotta, <laughs> we eat, we eating the rich tonight. Nah, off of the heads, bro. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that right there. So. Well, you think he, they, he, all of them die. Yeah. So maybe that is the justice of this movie of like, because when I saw that scene, I did think it was funny, but I was also just like, again, you are still a part of this. Yeah. But they all die. Yeah. So. I guess justice for all. That's I guess that's what the main that's what it all boiled down to. So I guess I re, I recant my earlier statements because I do remember that he also perishes. Yes. So fair is fair. Fair is fair. I, I do I do I do think though this movie is a bit of um a cautionary tale about the the because beyond the racial issues beyond this question, there's also a sub class issue. And it's like the divide, you know, of the have and have nots. I am myself am a have not. I, I I ain't got we ain't got we ain't got much. We ain't got all, much. All, 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 all I got is this podcast, man. That's all I got. For real. But, um, <laughs> I, I love that. And it's also it's also cautionary tales. Like once once you if we don't reconcile these issues mm. and we understand that your major disproportional wealth and your attitudes you have not to to, you know blow the bond service workers and it goes beyond because we see starbucks workers trying to unionize and all those issues that we have when it comes to class it realizes like look if you kind of don't understand what we're dealing with it comes some kind of reckoning we gonna die together and i don't have anything so if i die it don't matter but you who focus your life on building this wealth and the lifestyle you have you losing all that in the midst of death is going to affect you a lot more than it'll affect me. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how. Oh, that's I think we'll talk about that later. But wrapping up on this mm-hmm. film, lasting thoughts, last impressions. I I can see why this movie got the buzz. And the accolades it did coming out of uh, the film festival circuit mm-hmm. and premiering, I think it premiered at Cannes. I think um, I, I and in in watching this movie, I could see I, I had to coerce my friend because he was like, "I heard this movie, ain't nobody buying tickets, you know, and stuff." I was like, "Look, it's not one of those generic action movies. If you love movies and you want interesting stories, this this what I'm hearing based on this movie is you know what you want, you know." And me myself, it wasn't. It was better than what I was expecting to get. And he himself walked out the movie like, "Damn, you're right. I was not expecting that good of a story or good of a movie." It just shows in that interaction that expand your viewing palettes. You know, for you might find a movie like because it's not getting the commercials on TV, you know, and stuff like that. You might find an actual movie that you're gonna walk away from and actually enjoy immensely. So yeah i thought this was really good and 
Although I wish there was more of discussion about it in terms of mm-hmm. like capitalism, class systems, stuff like yeah. that. Um, I do like the moments that were kind of needled into it. I think that they brought out some really interesting themes and I think all the performances are great. Um, and I also liked how it was shot too. It was very nice. It was really well shot. So it was an intriguing story. And I like that, you know, this isn't some big tentpole film. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like it's like a mid-budget movie that seems like an original idea if I'm yeah. on that. And, you know, a lot of funding doesn't go to those movies anymore. So I'm really happy that this movie was able to be highlighted, not only in the festival circuit, but that people are, have actually gone to see it and are really enjoying it. And hopefully that'll give like more signals to Hollywood that you can make these kinds of movies still. So yeah, that was really good. And and, and, I, and I do think the, the I think the writer and director, you know, of this movie had a very wonderful touch in letting because in this movie it relies heavily on dialogue to you get the person's you know personality, how much of a dick they are, um, and it being the fact that this is a really big. I know the 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 top bill people are assault and until everything. But this movie and watching it, even with a runtime of a uh hour and forty minutes, I think, everybody gets their space to breathe and it's balanced perfectly. You don't really see and it's like the typical one one location style movie for predominantly most of the time. You don't really see films with this large of a cast give every character a chance to breathe and grow and express an emote. Usually two or three characters take a majority of the time and everybody else falls off. Because even with the back and forth between Ray Fiennes' character and Joyce Taylor's, Taylor's character, you still get her interplay with Nicholas Holt. You still have the issues of, you know, John Lozano's character and his assistant. You get the two corporate capitalist dude bros and their, their interplay between each other and the wife and the husband and, you know, the critic. And you get all those people still being able to breathe and being able to showcase themselves. So, So moving on to the new segment, of course, you know, got to give you guys a brief box office update. Um, of course, it's, it's a, it was expected, um, but it is also sad. Of course, while Carter Forever had, a, I think, a 63% drop in viewership uh, going into, into weekend number two, um, it still has a big, you know, domestic foothold. That was always to be expected. Um, and it's more so A. The amount of people who was going to see an opening weekend, especially domestically, that was always going to be the case because you see we're talking about about a week after. And to Marvel Disney's credit, they also decided to release the character poster of Shuri with her Black Panther helmet off, revealing that she becomes a Black Panther now. So that was, they were always expecting a massive drop off from week week one to week two. And of course, you have... Um, the we the, the the menu which we're talking about now, um, having a solid opening with um, having a a, a good solid opening on it, its debut of about nine million dollars. So, so Bob Iger has returned as Disney CEO effectively immediately, um, and he's replacing Bob Chapik after a brief tumultuous tenure. I was not expecting this. This is very like, oh, okay. Um, but (laughs) 
he's um, coming back temporarily. He'll be there. He signed a new contract and he'll be there for about two years while they get someone else to be the full-time CEO after he leaves. Um, I guess Disney stock and their, their um, projections weren't where, where they were supposed to be. And they're really losing a lot of money. Maybe it's Disney plus. I'm if I read that correctly. So there was a lot of stuff going on with Bob Chapek. Um, not only the financial side, but also in terms of um, PR, things were not going great <laughs> um, between Scarlett Johansson and her whole debacle with Disney. Um, the Don't say gay bill, how that affected Disney and what they didn't really say. But, you know, that whole situation, um, also the pandemic didn't help them at all either. So I guess they... Maybe they were too, and I, they switched over CEOs in February 2020, so right before the pandemic started. So obviously, no one could foresee these events. But I think they want like more stable leadership to kind of guide them back to the places that they feel that they need to be to continue. It's very odd to me because it's like Disney is this conglomerate that has like <laughs> that owns most of our entertainment. So the fact that they're not doing well, just I don't know what that says about either the company or just the economy how bad it is right now but like um interesting bob Iger did a lot of stuff i think they brought him back just because he knows how to like get that money back in <laughs> yeah um i think the, the article said um you know um like you said uh bob uh cup check you know he dealing with those issues of pandemic and kind of playing both sides in Florida during the don't say gay there they didn't really help their workers out and then when it came to politicians they're like hey we'll do this they tried to play both sides which if you're a corporate identity in there whole thing is a Disney also has a weird thing of their core values like morality and family virtues but also equality and all that stuff so them trying to walk a very very thin line based on their corporate identity and trying to say yes necessarily the, the issues of minorities lgbtq gays those people but then say hey you crazy christian people who don't respect people's identities and republican politicians we also have plenty of your side you're going to lose either way so they're wishing watching this of not taking a stance either for or against i think that's what really affected their their, their stock and then you also have the issues now of and it extends beyond that socially like the last couple um months on twitter um, and social media everybody's been talking about how disney's making cuts to their um, animation departments whether it's hand-drawn or you know the 3d cgi live action stuff and that is what disney built its bread and butter on and you said yeah we're, we're gonna ignore that um so i don't think them bringing in bob Iger kind of makes sense because he was also behind Disney's largest growth, you know, with mm -hmm. the acquisition of Marvel, um, um, the acquisition of um, creating Disney Plus, and also getting Star Wars Lucasfilm so you could get that whole George wow. Lucas as catalog. So, and also the Fox, the Fox mm -hmm. deal. So, and I think they said he has a beyond Beyond that, he had a 50-year history of working with Disney. So this is a person who knows Disney as a corporate structure and their 
what they do immensely. Whereas I think they said Bob Kupchak, his when he was becoming CEO, his background was mostly on the theme park side. So mm-hmm. if they were focusing like on the theme park stuff, that'd be fine. But Disney is so far beyond the um the theme park side, even the fact that the theme parks were closed in the pandemic and it really didn't affect them. And now they're back open, it really hasn't made a difference, really shows that Disney's gone beyond, you know, the theme park side. It needs to really focus on the corporate entertainment side of it. I think it's a good deal. It makes sense. So um uh, beyond that, um, so Chris Hemworth um, announced that he's going to take time off from acting after discussing he has a predisposition, a predisposition to um, Alzheimer's. He's in the midst of um, doing a Disney Plus show called Limitless, and he's kind of figuring out um, because you know he's a really good into a fitness guy, so that and he's trying to figure out how we could slow down or stop aging. And in the midst of that project, he did a DNA test and it revealed that he has two copies of a specific gene um, that makes his chance of developing Alzheimer's eight to 10 times higher than anybody else. And that scene, you know, so in talking about it, he also mentioned he was kind of concerned already because his grandfather had Alzheimer's. So, um, yeah, and he, and I think now that I think he's married now and has kids, he kind of like with that announcement, like your memories are going to go. I do think that probably that don't affect anybody, really. And I do think as a father and a parent, knowing how busy he is now, you know, producing stuff with extraction to him with Disney stuff that he wants to take time and sit back and spend time with his kids. So I, I applaud him and I hope, you know, down the line, you know, things work out perfectly for him where he doesn't deal with these effects of Alzheimer's because it sucks because I think one of my grandparents had issues with like I think dementia is or Alzheimer's and it's why I remember going to Jamaica once and visiting her and having watching her interact with my mother and you can kind of see that she doesn't remember and she'd call my mother pretty girl and it's kind of it's hard to see your a family member deal with it and then also your parent have to deal with their parent maybe not remembering who they are. So it affects everybody beyond just the individual dealing with it. It affects a whole um, group of people. Yeah, definitely. And I also thought when I heard him speak about this is that like, you know, he's 39 years old. I think oh. it's really crazy that in the industry, it's like most of your years get you like, kind of used up you know and you end up being kind of not well i don't think he's necessarily burnt out but you have this kind of thing where it's like you are always constantly working and your life is kind of passing you by a little bit like he said something like how he doesn't want to keep doing all these projects and adding another project on top of the projects that he already has and then one day he looks up and his kids are 18 and out the house and like he's missed all of those years. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing from a lot of actors who are like in their 50s and stuff talking about how like they need to take a break and that they're going to slow down and also and like maybe even retire because it's like most of your 20s and 30s have been like used up, you know, doing mm-hmm. all the products that you can because, you know, youth is so valued in Hollywood. Um and then, like, you get into your middle ages, but, you know, people are usually, they're not really retiring until they're, like, in their 60s, 70s, you know, mm-hmm. regular people who do, like, everyday jobs. But 
in this case, I, I think it's really great that he is going to take a step back and just be with his family. Cause that is like the most important thing that you have in your life is, you know, your kids and your wife. And I'm sad that it took like this for him to like want to do it. But I also feel like from what I've researched from Alzheimer's just in our job, that when you're always keeping your mind active and you're active yourself, that really yeah. helps, you know, if you, it, it helps not kind of get, get the Alzheimer's disease kind of full on. It might even prevent it in some cases. So he's been really active and I think he's been keeping his mind busy. So I think he'll be okay. But knowing these things are always very important. So you can take the steps to like, maybe not. And, and it, it's, it. it's apropos in a weird way, because this news comes out during the theatrical of Black Panther 2. Mm. And then at the same time, during Marvel stuff, Chadwick didn't want to reveal that he had cancer because they'd remove him from all the stuff. So it's, it's kind of funny, like, not really funny, it's kind of the ironic, the fact that, you know, he, he lost a talent, a mess to, to um, cancer. And during the the morning of his loss of life you have one of his contemporaries who plays kind of that oh chris him or you see him on the street that store like his hair can be cut short he can be bald you can go to that store like one of those roles where you see him saying yeah i'm kind of gonna stop acting because i have a, a, a health mm-hmm. scare so yeah i mean hopefully like i said hopefully everything works out for him and his family so and their story is that Jason David Frank, the original Power Rangers star, has died at age 49. He was best known as Tommy Oliver from the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers franchise, which ran from 1993 to 96. Um, I don't think they have stated what exactly it was that caused him to pass. I think they revealed that it was suicide. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's not in this article. Okay, well... Yeah. That is very sad. Um, he has like four kids. Ooh, that is terrible. And um, his family and friends have said that he was a wonderful human being and that he will be truly missed. Listen, men, I know you're in crisis. Please take care of your mental health. Like, I think, no, well, yeah, we're still in November. November is Mental Health Awareness uh, Month. Mm-hmm especially for men, like, please, please take care of your mental health. Like, people love you and people are depending on you and that loss is never going to be able to be replaced in their lives. So, you know, being alive is hard, but take the steps that you can to, like, nothing's ever going to be perfect, but take the steps that you can to at least start talking about whatever's going on and then, you know, healing because. Yeah. So many. And that's, what's really hard for me kind of reading these stories every day is that there's just so many young men who are just exiting. Like it's really hard. He's 49. uh, Ross 49 is not that old. And I, and I think it doesn't feel as old, especially for me Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, at like, 10 you know that age was a kid and at the time when Rouge and Power airs, these these guys are all basically like teenagers they mm-hmm. were still 
for explosive celebrity. So you still don't think of them as that much older. You're, they're all these Power Rangers actors when the original, the original show. They're all Gen X, so they're still young in this in this game of things. And it's just, I don't know. It's it's also another thing like. I don't know why. Sorry, I was in. There. I don't you know why. Call. I just gasped. I call. I was gonna call. Sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, you mentioned dealing with mental health, and it's also one of those things where if you ever had a chance to meet him at like a convention or a con, everybody from other actors who like like you have professional wrestlers who are for fans of him and said, you know, I was a fan of you as a kid, and that made me, you know, want to dress up in spandex and jump across the ring like and he's interacting with so many people and like everybody universally has said he was so nice and caring it goes to show that a lot of times the people who are the nice caring person i'm not nice i got mental issues i'm angry all the time See, I, I'm, I'm a mean person but no you're the, not. <laughs> the, 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 the people who you seem are bubbly and nice all the time they are usually dealing with a lot but mm-hmm. it's because of whatever they're usually they're usually always the friends you can always lean on whatever and and because like we like me like i can say that with with my sisters i'm the person they have they lean on and so nine times out of ten the person who's usually carrying everybody else's baggage or everybody else feels good they themselves are not doing good but because of the appearances and the roles they play we have to continue with a smile on our face but yeah everybody's dealing with stuff man get um get help and especially it's 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 rough because it's just like i remember lincoln park um chad same issue you know a couple of days ago you had we had um um kevin kevin conway like these are people a lot of us have grown up with as children into adulthood still interacting with enjoying their content so yeah just whatever issues you're dealing with like get get the help like I still deal with my mental health issues. I'm not 100%. I'm still a person who's like still, you know, wrestling, therapy, talking people, you know. Yes, I know as well, black people, we don't like the idea of taking medication to help ourselves, but I do have medication. I take it, you know, help to help myself. So whatever you can to have you focus and thinking right and operate at your best to be there for the people you love and support, do whatever you can. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. Okay, so what did we watch this week? Me beyond watching, you know, it's funny. I saw I saw Black Panther the opening the day after opening. And this is like I've been in bed. <laughs> I've been in bed. I just got over a really bad cold. It's funny the moment I don't take my flu shot and I've been saying I'm getting my flu shot. I wake up and I'm sick. So I've only ever saw like a week black panther and just last night when i was feeling good yesterday i went to go see the menu which i shouldn't if i'm getting over a cold why should i go to a movie theater in the middle of the night and in, in, in fall but i did so i decided to say i didn't i didn't watch much you know so yeah a personal decision <laughs> i made poor decisions you know hey hey uh, um so yeah i watched nope because nope is on peacock now so mm-hmm. i got to rewatch that and i've been wanting to do it because again jordan peele's movie is like you need to see it more than once to like understand what's going on 
And I will say I did like it a lot more on the rewatch and I just enjoyed it and had more fun with it because I knew it was going to happen. I will say it still feels a little long in places in terms of pacing, but um, overall I, and I don't, and I still don't fully get the hype about it in terms of like it being so amazing. Mm. But it's still a really good film. Like, I don't want to take anything away from it, but I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, I, maybe I'm still missing something that everyone else has caught on to. I'm not really sure. I'll go back and see other people's reviews to see what they're talking about. But yeah, I watched that. Still good. And then I watched Italian American, which is a movie by Martin Scorsese. It's one of his earlier films because. Mm-hmm. I was watching this conversation between the Safdie brothers and Ari Aster when they're talking about Scorsese films and they're kind of going through his earlier films mm-hmm. because they're both like, or all three of them are very huge Scorsese fans. So I was watching that and then they brought up this movie. And um, so now HBO has an entire collection of Scorsese films, like his earlier stuff. So I was able to see this one. And I really, really enjoyed it. Like, you can still see the, um, I guess the, what is the word I'm looking for? You can see the foundations of like what he'll use in his other films from this one, mm-hmm. um, where you really just have like people sitting around a table talking. Um, a lot of his films, from what I've seen, are informed by that. One, some, a lot of those scenes incorporate just like scenes at a diner, scene scenes you know at a restaurant where people are just talking and it's very fast paced and the cuts are really interesting like a lot of that was found in this i would Mm. say um and it's basically him just interviewing his parents in their apartment in like the early 70s so um and his parents are just really funny like i don't know i really thought his parents were hilarious but they were telling a lot of interesting stories about like what new york was back in the day and how their parents grew up and how they grew up they grew up um both of them grew up with a lot of hardship and prop and poverty um but i just i just love their spirits like they're just really funny people and um his dad had this great line where he's talking to his wife and he's like, why are you trying to put on? Like, what are you, why are you trying to put on for the camera? And she's like, come on, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I just love it. And she just spends like a segment making meatballs. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just so... off for a kid. Yeah, it's just, it felt like, I like that more intimate like side of you just seeing, you're just in someone's home and they're telling you their stories. And I really enjoyed that aspect i don't i mean i don't think he's done anything like that but since but i really enjoyed this film i thought it was really good and um just going through someone's personal history and well their family history and seeing where people came from and also not only their personal history but like just history in general like what it was to grow up in new york in the 1900s um but things were really difficult for a lot of people and trying to find joy in those moments I thought that was really, really good and just like, cool. Like, I really thought it was a cool little film. And I'm gonna watch some more of his stuff. 
Yeah, now that you mention it, I'm talking about how the movie features probably people like in a kitchen or a diner just talking. And now mm-hmm. I think about Scorsese's work as a whole. He does do a lot of, you think of him as not an action director, but he kind of is because his movies are usually based on the mob and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But a lot of his movies, it's like, I know, uh, like, uh, Finch will probably do like a walk and talk, like as he will walk and talk, like like mm-hmm. certain directors don't have their style. His like thinking about a lot of his movies, when people are um are talking, they're honestly sitting down in like a casual, you know, area, like natural, realistic. You know, they're not doing this weird. They're not in the middle of a shootout. Like, yeah, man, we're gonna do this. No, they're in a over like like um the departed. Like a lot of the dialogue scenes are a. At, the station where Mark Wahlberg is talking to the chief in his office or a you're talking or Matt Damon is in his apartment you know talking to somebody or you know you have Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Jack English character just talking in a bar like, mm. they're really segmented scenes where people just talk sprinkled in with all the interact the uh, action set pieces in between and so I, now that I, I probably do need to, to watch this watch this movie but it, I think it, it's what you really said, good it's yeah. cool. It's good seeing directors' early work. Do you see those elements yes. mm-hmm. that comes out in their later projects? You know, I love that. I love seeing the early stuff because I'm just like, you can just see so how much the, that stuff is informing the stuff that we have come to know as classic films. Um, but it really would start like they filmed this in their house, like in their small apartment in New York. And I just, I loved how intimate everything felt. Um, and how it wasn't and how you know how intimate gatherings like that are where you're where food is like a source of intimacy yeah or you're just like sitting around eating food sharing stories and how important that is and then building that into like bigger sets and like you know more intertwining stories like the departed or casino or whatever like I just like that though that was the foundation I think that's really interesting and it's really interesting to see someone at the start of something like at the start of like obviously Martin Spaghetti is like one of the best directors ever but it's really cool to see someone at the beginning of their journey and which is why I really liked hearing the Safdies and Ari Aster talk about his films because they're at like the kind of the beginning of their journeys too yeah so it'll be interesting to see how, like where they go and how his stuff has influenced the films that they're making I think that's really cool Okay, so that's it from us this week. Um, we hope that you're taking care of yourselves and that you're having a great week. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. And have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. Bye. Wherever you listen to us, you know, on the road, stay safe. Enjoy some turkey. Don't overeat. Don't find anybody <laughs> Black Friday shopping. And, or oh, yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs>